seated temporarily, but to rise again. <laughs> yes, literally, we will rise again. Amen. When we read God's word, I will ask you to stand. I love to watch old Western movies where there's a bar fight and someone gets knocked out. Usually someone will come and throw a bucket of cold water on the person. The temperature and the texture of the water wakes the sleeper out of his slumber. The temperature shocks the system awake. Jesus told many parables and stories And the truth of those stories were meant to shock his hearers awake to spiritual truths. The Gospels, though, are not the only place where this method is employed. The message in the book of Jonah is like an ice-cold bucket of water on our souls. But we often miss the shock of it because we look at the book with a lens of fear instead of a lens of mercy. The title of the message this morning is His Mercy is Everlasting. If you forget the title, it is found in Psalm 100. We seek to answer several questions in this sermon this morning. What is the solution to our sin and suffering? Two, what is our attitude concerning God's mercy? And three, who is in need of God's mercy? I believe we will find the answers to those questions and many more in our study of chapter four, the book of Jonah. Now, please stand for the reading of God's holy word. I'll be reading chapter four. Verses 1 to 11. That is Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. This is God's word. I'm reading from the ESV. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should, till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die 
and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night? And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, make us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The book of Jonah only contains 48 verses. The Lord commands Jonah to go preach to Nineveh, for their evil has come up before the Lord. Jonah refuses to go jumps into a ship and flees to Tarshish, which is a city in the opposite direction. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. Jonah is thrown overboard and swallowed by a fish. Jonah prays, is released from the fish, and goes to Nineveh to preach to the city. When God saw that the people of Nineveh repented, God relented of the disaster and spared their lives. That's the summary of Jonah 1 to 3. Now we pick up at chapter 4. Verse 1 says, but it displeased Jonah. In order for us to understand Jonah's displeasure and his apprehension about going to Nineveh the first time, let us look at the Ninevites. These were real people. They were written written about by secular people. Not necessarily people who believed God. I don't know if Will Durant in his series believed God, but he wrote about the Ninevites. And he said that the Ninevites were notorious warriors. They had achieved a near legendary reputation for cruelty. The soldiers were rewarded for every severed head they brought in from the field. The nobles among the defeated were given more special treatment. Their ears, noses, hands, and feet were sliced off, or they were thrown from high towers, or their children were beheaded, flayed alive, or roasted over a slow fire. No puncture seems to have been felt at this waste of human life. This was inhumane. They were vile. God cares for all human life, and the Ninevites didn't. Their laws were distinguished by a martial ruthlessness. Punishment ranged from public exhibition to forced labor. Twenty to a hundred lashes. Pulling out the tongue, gorging out the eyes, impalement, and beheading. Laws of drinking poison and the burning of the offender's son or daughter alive on the altar of the gods. It's no wonder that Jonah didn't want to preach to Nineveh. 
These people were extremely wicked, and they were prospering. Questions regarding the wicked is peppered throughout the Psalms. The the Israelites often ask, Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked triumph? Psalm 94, verse 3. Certainly some of the heads from their triumph belong to the Israelites. The psalmist in Psalm 94, 5 and 6, tell us that they crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless. How excited would you be to go preach to those people? Again, I don't believe it is an issue of fear with Jonah, but of one of hatred, a hatred for his enemies. These people were evil, and their evilness had come up before the Lord. This was their day of reckoning. Everyone will have a day. Aaron's sons had their day. Eli the priest had his day. Noah's generation had their day, and you will have your day. For just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Even in the book of 1 Samuel, a heathen said, Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? 1 Samuel 6.20 If our sin prevents us from standing before a holy God, what are we to do? Well, this brings us to our first question. What is the solution for our sin? What will we do on that day of reckoning? What do we do with our sin that causes so much suffering in this life? When we look at the Gentiles in this book, we get a clue. These mariners or mariners were strangers to the covenants of promise. In verse 1, they were. They, were not re- they, they would not really rally around the call, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. No, they worshiped many gods. But they told Jonah, Wake up and call on your God. Perhaps God will give a thought to us. They also said, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. Those Gentiles looked to the mercy of God. The Ninevites believed God and said, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Both the mariners and the Ninevites looked to the gracious God of mercy. And what do we do with our sin? We turn to God and trust in his mercy. The Mariners and the Ninevites did it. I encourage you to do it as well. God welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. The Ninevites might be considered the vilest group of people that ever lived. But their their sins were many, but God's mercy is more. Is that the same God of mercy? Is that same God of mercy still standing right here today? Yes. For the scripture says the wages of sin is death, and who alone but God can forgive sins? Who has the power to die for the sins of many and forgive them from their sins? 
Christ alone. Isn't that one of the solas of the Reformation? Sola Christus? The, Reformation, the Reformers stressed that Christ alone was the dispenser of God's grace. Question 181 in the Westminster Catechism. I'm going to read it. The sinfulness of man and his distance from God by reason of thereof being so great as that we can have no access into his presence without a mediator and being none in heaven or earth appointed to or fit for that glorious work but Christ alone. In Christ alone our hope is found. In Christ alone who took on flesh Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied, for every sin on him was laid. And we have many sins. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. God's mercy in the person of Christ is here with stretched out arms to receive the weakest, the vilest, the poor. What do we do with our sin and guilt? Repent. And receive Christ so that we can experience the mercy of God. Let's look at our next question. What is our attitude concerning God's mercy? Verse 1 in the original language is stronger than displeased. Jonah was extremely angry. As a matter of fact, this thing that God did was evil to Jonah. Jonah was deeply offended by this act of mercy. There is a commentator by the name of Joyce Baldwin, and he said what caused God pain would have given Jonah pleasure. Jonah was on the wrong side. God's mercy endures forever, and he delights when one sinner turns from his sin and trusts in him. There is great rejoicing in heaven when one sinner turns to Christ, but yet Jonah was deeply offended by something that bought God pleasure. This is simple. God cares for human life, even the Ninevites, but Jonah didn't. Jonah is on the wrong side. His affections are not ignited by the glory of God. Unlike most people who sin in ignorance of what God is really like, Jonah's heart rebels precisely because he knows the truth of God and because that truth conflicts with his own heart's desires. We can't believe it. The prophet Jonah his heart is not lined up with God's heart. Jonah is a believer. He's even a professional prophet. He should know better. But this is precisely the purposeful shock response that we discussed earlier. If this has happened to Jonah after God so mercifully forgiven him for his willful disobedience, then this condition is probable for us. Is this you? Are there things you know about the character of God and you are willfully disobeying? As there was mercy for Jonah, there is mercy for you and me. 
Ask the Holy Spirit to empower you to turn from your waywardness and stand with God. I go back to Will Durant. Will Durant said, in describing the Ninevites' actions against humans, no puncture seemed to be felt at the waste of this human life. Are you on the wrong side of God? God cares about human life. Are you deeply offended when someone tells you that God cares for the life of the unborn babies? Do you consider God and those that fight for the unborn evil? Do you find yourself opposing the things that God approves? Are you overjoyed with your marching and days and months of celebrations for things God clearly opposes and calls an abomination? If a prophet of God can be on the wrong side, it is very likely that you and I can be on the wrong side as well. Repent and ask God to ignite your soul for a holy zeal for him and his glory. What was wrong with Jonah anyway? Jonah spurred God's grace to the Gentile nations. This is not the only, this is not the only one, this is not the only one of the themes of Jonah. But it's a major theme in the whole Bible. This theme runs from Abraham all the way past Peter. Because we see in the New Testament that Peter is still prejudiced against the Gentile nations. And had to be confronted by the Apostle Paul. This thing runs deep. We see a small picture of that though. God showed mercy to the vile Gentile nation of Nineveh, but how did he do it? <laughs> he used this Jewish prophet to Jonah to do it. Jonah was bitter, and he used that bitter prophet to bring reconciliation. Well, this shakes up our theology a little bit. We think we have to be a pure vessel for God to use us. <laughs> Jonah wasn't. And over 120,000 maybe people repented. What a revival. What a sermon. No, what a great God. God showed mercy to them. Jesus kept this lesson, though, constantly before the Jews. In the parable of the prodigal son, God showed mercy to the one who ran away. Right? And we all applaud that. Wow, praise God. You know, we have children, we have grandchildren, we have nieces and nephews who have turned away. And look at the prodigal son, yay! And we stop there, thinking that was the purpose of the parable. I don't want to crush your dreams, but who was Jesus speaking to? And why did they get so angry? After he told that parable. That's a beautiful parable. Who would get angry at that? But we have to read on. But, the, but there was one son that stayed. Who resented the mercy showed on his brother. We see Jonah's attitude in that older brother. 
But Jonah and the older brother is just a picture of the whole nation of Israel. God's plan all along was to show mercy to every nation, but use the Jewish nation as a conduit. We also see Jonah's attitude when Jesus told a parable about the master who sent out workers in the vineyard. The workers that worked all day was a picture of the Jewish nation. And the one that was hired at the last hour was the Gentile nation. The other workers complained about this last worker, and Jesus made a point to say, I did you no wrong, my friend. If I want to be generous with what belongs to me, why are you jealous? Can't I do what's rightfully mine with what I want with what's rightfully mine? We could see Jonah's attitude in those workers. God is great, generous with his mercy, but the Jewish nation resented the mercy of God being directed to the Gentile nations. But according to Ephesians, this was God's plan all along from the very beginning of creation. As we turn back to the text, we will notice the evidence that this book is not about fear. We have taught to our children in our Sunday schools, in our adult Sunday schools, that Jonah was scared. They even have a musical, go, go, Jonah, fear, 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 don't fear, go, go, Jonah. He was not afraid. How do you know that? Are you making that up? No, Jonah told us. We noticed the evidence that this was about national pride. Jonah tells us his reason for running away in the first line. This is the first time this has come up. Is this not what I said when I was in still in my country, verse 2 said? The writer of this narrative stuck that piece of information at the end of the story. He left us wondering what was Jonah's reason for running away from God's call. Speculation is over. Jonah tells us as clear as day, I ran away because I knew you would stay true to your character. This also answers the question of why God spared those people in Nineveh. God is merciful and abounding in steadfast love. I've come to remind you that knowing that God is merciful keeps us from getting it all twisted and thinking too highly of ourselves. One of the cornerstones of the Reformation is the doctrine of total depravity. Nothing in us draws us to God. Actually, everything within us drives us away from God. To be totally depraved does not mean we are as bad as the Ninevites or we as bad as we could be. No, it means that all parts of our being have been affected by sin. Our desires, our will, and our affections have been corrupted by sin. We have nothing to offer to God. Even our best works are considered filthy rags in the sight of God. So then our salvation does not depend on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Romans 9, 16. You and I stood under a debt we could never afford. His blood was the payment, his life for us. Our sins were many, but his mercy is more. Praise the Lord with me, his mercy is more. Why was Jonah so angry? What was his problem? 
Jonah probably knew that he did not measure up to God's standards. He was reminded all the time through the sacrifices. He knew he needed God's mercy. But he was in the covenant community, so he only needed it a little bit. Most likely, Jonah had a dual definition of a sinner. One who was an upstanding Israelite and attended to the temple, and those who were too evil to benefit from God's mercy. Do you have a dual definition of a sinner this morning? Do you think that those who are in church are the only ones who benefited or who will benefit from God's mercy? Or do you believe that those outside the church needs God's mercy, but not you? We err when we think that those who grew up in church don't need the mercy of God. Jonah needed God's mercy. I need God's mercy. And you need God's mercy. Verse 3 says, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah is so angry he wants to die. We had another prophet in the Old Testament who said, I would want to die. But his motivation was because it seemed as though Jezebel was corrupting and snuffing out by darkness the light, the glory of God. He was discouraged. But Jonah, hmm. He hated his enemies. This hatred blinded Jonah to the glorious thing God was doing in the hearts of people who were formerly vile beasts. Are you there? Do you hate a group of people so much that you can't even imagine them worthy of receiving God's grace? What about one person? Is it next to impossible for you to pray that that person experiences the mercy of God? then ask the Holy Spirit to empower you to love your enemies and pray for those who despitefully use you. Jonah probably struggled with the question around justice. What about God's justice? Who is going to pay for the sins that those Ninevites inflicted on people, especially your people? We don't have to worry about that question, though, now, do we? God has taken care of that tension. God's justice and God's mercy. God's justice is satisfied and God's mercy is freely given in the person and work of Jesus Christ. This is the beauty of Christ. This is the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us, took the blame and bore the wrath. We stand forgiven at the cross. Amen. Jonah threw a temper tantrum, but God did not address his request to die, but he asked him a question. Do you do well to be angry? God asked Jonah another question in verse 9. Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And God's last question ends the whole book. Should I not pity Nineveh? What were these questions about, anyway? The one thing we should notice is that Jonah complains throughout the whole book. It's 48 verses. You can go home and read it this afternoon. 
And just think to yourself, where's Jonah's complaint? <laughs> Where isn't Jonah's complaint? Jonah's complaint is in verse 1, chapter 1. Jonah's complaint is in chapter 2. Jonah's complaint is in chapter 3. Jonah's complaining in chapter 4. Jonah is full of complaining. It's like a complaining box. But actually, Jonah is only happy one time in the book. Verse 6 says, so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. When we are reading our Bible, we should slow down. Is God rejoicing that a whole nation has repented? You better believe it. If you know Christ, don't you get excited when someone comes to know him? Can you imagine living in a place where you're laboring and you're laboring and you're laboring? Maybe France, maybe Japan, and you're laboring and you're laboring. And one day you wake up, you preach in the street, and 120,000 people repent. Wait, what? I know I'll be, I'll, I'll be jumping, I'll be excited. Some of you will be excited with me. We'll dance like David danced. We would really be excited. Jonah? Nope. Mm -mm. But Jonah's gladness was not the plant itself, but the shade that the plant provided to save him from discomfort. God was happy about the repentance of sinners the mercy that saved people from eternal destruction, Jonah's comfort was more important to Jonah. The souls of people are important to God. His desire is to pour out his mercy on people that they may be saved. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that we should give, the, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. This is the beauty of our God. As we look at the last point, who is in need of God's mercy? This may seem obvious, but the book of Jonah, but in the book of Jonah, the mariners were in need of God's mercy. Though they were professional seamen, they recognized that they, that what they were experiencing was not a normal storm. They recognized it for what it was, the judgment of God. Oh, it wasn't judgment necessarily against them. It was judgment against Jonah. But if you're caught in a crossfire, you may take a bullet. And here they are. They're taking a bullet. They called out to the Lord and received mercy. The Ninevites were in need of God's mercy. They recognized the judgment of God and repented. They also received God's mercy. But if God's mercy is a great theme in this book, then Jonah was also in need of God's mercy. And Jonah received it. God was merciful to him when he ran from the call. He received mercy when he was thrown overboard and swallowed by a great fish. God was merciful when the fish vomited Jonah upon the dry land. 
Jonah received mercy to preach the good news to the Ninevites. Jonah received mercy because the plant shaded him from the heat. And it was the mercy of God that saved Jonah from destruction and used questions to help Jonah see the error of his ways and come to repentance. The beauty of the end of the book of Jonah is we don't know what happened. While Jonah roamed, God showed his mercy. What patience would wait as Jonah constantly roamed. What father so tender was calling him home. Our father is constantly calling us home. If you have turned from him, turn back to him. Today is the acceptable day of salvation. You say, "Mm -mm, tomorrow. Today, I'm watching football. I'll do it tomorrow. Tomorrow, I will repent of my sins. Tomorrow, I will turn to Christ. Tomorrow, I will line up my thoughts with his. Well, your tomorrow may very well be today. Have you been convicted this morning that your actions, affections, and thoughts don't line up with God's thoughts expressed in his holy word? Then repent and ask the Holy Spirit to empower you to turn from sin and destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Do you find yourself on the wrong side of God? Yes, even opposing him in your words and actions. Forgiveness is just a prayer away. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you the eyes to see your error, the heart to change your ways, and the courage to stand with Christ. Did you discover you have a dual definition of a sinner? You thought God's mercy was only for a select few? The book of Jonah teaches us that the Gentiles needed God's mercy and Jonah needed God's mercy. The law of God has come to do its work. To save us? No. No. Paul says, for we have already charged them all, both Jew and Gentiles are under sin. None is righteous. No, not one. When we look at the perfect or we look into the perfect law of God or when the perfect law of God looks into us, we see, wow, we are undone. And there's nothing we can do about it. We just have to lean upon God's mercy. Maybe you thought that the mercy of God is just for outsiders, those outside the church. But the little girl who honors her parents is in need of God's mercy. The adult who was raised around the things of God, has been trained in the word of God, and who knows about much about the Bible, is in desperate need of God's mercy. Ask the Holy Spirit to keep our hearts tender to the riches of his kindness he has lavished on us. 
His blood was the payment. His life was the cost. We all stood beneath a debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. God's mercy is clearly expressed in the person and work of Christ. When we see too much of Jonah in our souls, let's not fret. Let us recommit our souls to Christ and ask him to line up our thoughts with his and give us the power by his Holy Spirit to forgive our enemies. Let's pray. Oh, our forgetful soul, awake from your wandering dream. Turn from chasing vanities. Look inward, forward, and upward. View myself in light of God's holy word. Oh, God, you injured, neglected, provoked benefactor. When we think of your greatness and your goodness, we are ashamed at our insensibilities. We blush to lift our face. For we have foolishly erred. We confess that we have not had you in our thoughts. That the knowledge of you as the end of our being has been strangely overlooked. That we have not seriously considered our heart need. Lord, break the fatal enchantment that binds our evil infections. And bring us to a happy mind that rests in you. And may our happiness be entwined in doing your will and not in our own comforts. Let your spirit teach us the vital lessons of Christ, for we are slow to learn. Make us wholeheartedly willing and ready and from now on to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.